Hello listeners and welcome to the Montel Weekly Podcast, bringing you energy matters in an informal setting. In today's episode, we won't be looking at the coronavirus outbreak. We won't be talking COVID-19. For that, you can follow the latest developments across commodities, across markets on our Montel Daily Podcast special. This week, we're taking a glance eastwards and looking at Estonia and the Baltic market. This is a country well known for its digital literacy, but many exciting things are also happening in the country's energy space. We have noticed quite a few listeners from Estonia tuning into the Montel Weekly podcast. So a warm welcome to you. And also, it's a great pleasure to have Kalev Kalametz, CEO of Fermi Energia, a talent-based company on the Montel Weekly podcast. A warm welcome to you, Kalev. Thank you. Good day from Estonia. Kalev, I thought, first of all, maybe you could say a few words about Fermi and, and what you're currently active in. Yeah, all right. Uh, Fermi was a nuclear engineer who, um, or a scientist who uh, was the first uh, to set up a chain reaction in, in Chicago in 1942, that's our namesake. But uh, the company was established uh, last year to um, uh, very closely study the option of deployment of uh, small modular reactors in Estonia to have carbon neutrality with every weather. Enrico Fermi, isn't it? The, the nuclear physicist. Indeed. Um, I actually went to school with his grandson, Daniel Fermi. But um, that's not the topic of today. So let's let's talk a little bit about the small modular reactors, Kalev. Are these a viable alternative to oil shale power plants in Estonia? Not now, because they are in the licensing and development in Canada and the United States. SMRs have been a subject of, of interest for some time, but really now they are in licensing, in development, in a level that is much more serious as a business proposition looking forward. And uh, indeed, the case is uh, in Estonia that uh, with the majority of power generation is from oil shale, also was in 2019, 4.5 terawatt hours. But it is the heaviest uh, CO2 carbon emission uh, technology, even higher than lignite, meaning that um, if the CO2 prices are above 2025, it will be uh, significantly punished by those prices. Yep, so not profitable at all with carbon, as it was maybe a few weeks ago, not what it is now. But uh, Kalev, can you tell me a little bit about, so we, you talked about the licensings for small modular reactors or SMRs. How far are we away from sort of commercial realization? And in which countries, you mentioned USA and Canada, would these be at the forefront of, of the deployment of this technology? Absolutely. Both Canada and United States are very seriously at the government level investing into development of those technologies and also in the licensing of those technologies. Both the utilities in Canada and the States have uh, many nuclear reactors in development or in operation, and uh, several utilities are considering SMR deployments, uh, most notably Ontario Power Generation, the largest Canadian utility, but also other provinces are uh, waking up to the fact that they have to go face out coal and uh, build up dispatchable capacities that are carbon neutral. And, uh, and the same is the less so in, in the States because they have extremely cheap natural gas. But the factuality is that there too, uh, some old plants are getting too old and they have to consider what are the options. And uh, 
clearly large reactors are extremely expensive and um, very dangerous to build therefore for any individual business but are we talking five ten years away from commercial operation yeah well the outlook is that um, the licensing should be complete for example for new scale by end of this year okay and then they would go to the site licensing and go to the construction expectedly 2023-2024, and the first of our kinds would be ready by 2026-27, and several developers, uh, both light water systems, but also fourth generation molten salt reactor developers, expect by 27 to uh, their, their reactors to be operational, so that, and, and this is also our business plan in, in Estonia, is that if they, they get ready, then we would be capable in Estonia to seriously apply for Estonian construction license in Estonia for those units. Maybe they will be online before Flamanville or Olkiluoto 3, maybe. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm sure Flam- Olkiluoto will be ready uh, next year uh, regarding Flamanville. Um, I haven't been there. I don't know so, so well, but... Uh, but uh, indeed, um, the large units are extremely complicated in their nature because of the size. Absolutely, yeah. So there's been a lot of cost overrun, overruns and delays there. So, so in, in, in that sense, the SMRs could be the provider, a different kind of model for the markets that need them. But I'm, but I'm just wondering, kind of, so we're talking Estonia, Canada and the US, but are there other areas in other countries in Europe? that are looking at this technology, I know, potentially in the UK or in the Nordics? Yeah, well, UK definitely is one of the regions or, or one of the countries in Western Europe that is most open to n- new nuclear. They have Rolls-Royce that is government-funded that develops um, SMR. I have to say, uh, I don't think that the Rolls-Royce has similar capability as companies who have experience with building and developing uh, uh, civil power reactors. But let's see, they, they've faced definitely a lot of competition in the area. There are multiple, multiple developers out there. And I, I have to say, not all of them will be successful. Sure. I mean, if we go a little bit into the technology itself, technology itself, what's the maximum capacity are we talking? Are we talking, you know, anything between 100 and 600 megawatts? And, and how many could you roll out in a country at the same time? Yeah, very good question. Internationally, it's recognized that up to 300 megawatts is a small reactor. From 20 to uh, 300, below 20, you're talking micro reactors. And there are plenty of micro reactors also in development, which are very suitable for off-grid locations in Canadian or American North, uh, where they burning diesel fuel for power generation uh, which is quite expensive and dirty. <laughs> yes, dirty too. And we, but in Estonia, we're looking at the, let's say, two hundred, three hundred megawatt size for the grid scale base load power generation, looking twenty thirties. Can you tell us something about the cost? What would be the uh, production cost here? The marginal cost of production? Uh, that's a very relevant question. The developers are specifically aiming those three, 200, 300 megawatt units to be costing less than a billion dollars. And they have to be con- uh, competitive nat- with natural gas in American market, meaning their aim is at $35 per megawatt hour. And they have to meet that range in order to be competitive with natural gas. 
and un- unless they are, they don't have a market in North America. I mean, European market is a kind of bonus to, to American market, so they have to be competitive over there. That's far below the price, for example, the strike price at which Hinkley Point C was, where the deal was struck there. So, I mean, that's very competitive now and given our current wholesale prices. Absolutely. And Hinkley Point, the amazing factor is that half of the levelized cost price and pre- or the strike price there is interest cost. And because the construction time is scheduled for seven, seven eight years, mm. and you have a huge amount of billions building up during this construction that you have all take a loan upon and then yeah of course you have a huge interest but if you have a construction time of two years and the per unit capital down is billion that's a total different ballpark absolutely we'll turn to a little bit to renewables a bit later but as we see the European Union is moving to decarbonize its energy system by 2050 or reach at least reach net zero by 2050. How would small modular reactors fit in a world of renewable energy? Can they coincide? Can they load, follow? How, how does it work, uh, Kaleb? Yes, uh, what I'm not looking uh, is competi- competition with renewables. Mm. Renewables have to increase. There is no question. They have to double, they have to triple. But even so, the challenge of uh, switching down coal and gas at the same time, but keeping an, also in mind that we there's a huge capacity of older reactors being shut down in UK, even in Sweden, obviously nuclear phase out in, in Germany, some older units getting shut down in Belgium, in France, in Switzerland, also in Spain. It's all combined. We're talking more than 200, 300 terawatt hours of generation, dispatchable generation, because of those shutdowns that have to be displaced over the next 10 years. That's a tremendous market. And we don't have to fight with uh, renewables. Okay, you can coexist. Absolutely. It's potentially very interesting. You've mentioned the carbon content of oil shell, but also for those countries and markets that are dependent on moving away from coal, for example, several countries in Eastern Europe, Poland, Slovakia or Hungary. And then this is the small modular reactors would be a, a very good alternative, do you think? Absolutely. They're much better alternative than the large units. They're much much better alternative than burning gas where you are uh, still emitting a lot of CO2 and if the CO2 price has to go by 2050 to a level where carbon capture and storage has to be viable then we're talking 80 80 euros per ton and at that level then the only the CO2 cost per carbon of, of carbon cost of gas burning is 40 euros per megawatt hour so I mean, a small modular nuclear would easily outcompete any natural gas power generation. Can you tell us a little bit about the cooperation you have now with Sweden's Vattenfall? How how far have you come here, and are other companies looking at uh, what you're doing with small modular reactors, Kaleb? Indeed, we signed early this year in January MOUs with three companies. Yes, Wattenfall was one of them. Uh, we are studying the uh, construction time of uh, SMR with them in, in very close detail. With Tractable, we are studying the siting in Estonia. With Fortum, we study the licensing model, which is based on the safety assessment report done by Canadian or American regulator. So meaning that uh, in Estonia, we would not do independent 
full-fledged uh, safety assessment, which would be extremely time-consuming and, how to say, that is not done in airplanes or drug manufacturing. And we are having a whole suite of other studies that we are performing this year. So but those three are the most important uh, partnerships that we, that we have. And these are all well-established nuclear operators, you know, Vattenfall and Fortum in the Nordics and, and Tractabel in, in Belgium. So they, yes. they're specialists in this field, would you say? Yes. And uh, what we have learned is that uh, also it is not very easy to start a nuclear new build project right now in either in Sweden or in Belgium or proposition or business case that we're developing. And given that the Baltics will disconnect from Russian grid system, it seems that the market condition in Baltics is uh, one of the potentially one of the best for deployment of SMR. If we stick with the Baltic market, how are you know Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania going to move to decarbonize their electricity production? Kind of before that, the, the first challenge is actually keeping the lights on. Okay, because uh, as I said, end of twenty twenty five, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania will desynchronize from northwestern Russian grid system to continental European system, meaning the connections to Russia and Belarus will be disconnected. And the year, last year, we imported about nine terawatt hours from those countries. This will discontinue at that day, meaning the, we have to increase significantly imports from Swedish price region four and from uh, Finland. We'll see whether they have a sufficient capacity to to export well that's it i mean that's my next question because as we we see you know maybe a shortfall in capacity in finland sweden's decommissioning its nuclear plants you know is there enough capacity at times when supply in the region is squeezed i mean can the nordics supply the baltics as well yes uh, it's very good question i don't see there is a mathematical calculation behind right now because uh, if there isn't windy time in the Baltic Sea area, then uh, it will be challenging there. All the most expensive uh, power generation sources have to be utilized um, to meet the demand, or the, there has to be this euphemism of uh, demand management of uh, switching down consumers. But the other alternative is then is to expand or grow the capacity within the Baltic region. I, I see SD and Agia are looking to expand in offshore into the Baltic. Is this an option or a feasible option? Yeah, certainly. Certainly. I mean, wind power generation has to increase, but the, the fact of a matter is if you look at the weather forecast every evening in the news, is you notice that the depression areas, they don't cover single countries. They cover mostly Northern Europe meaning that if there is a wind in Denmark, there is wind in Baltics, there is wind in Germany. So that's why we have negative prices. Absolutely. And also, conversely, if there is a high, like it is probably tomorrow, then uh, you the prices are high and you have to switch on carbon-intensive power generation and the prices will go higher. If we stick to the topic there of negative prices, Kalev, I mean, you've been a bit of a critic here. I mean, is this to do with over-subsidizing renewables, do you think? Or, I mean, surely it's also a good idea to have a signal that provides the market with a view that there is oversupply, which is what negative prices do. Yes, you're correct there. The, the, this price signal has to, should, should happen. But what is, I think, uh, what we are trying to achieve in Europe uh, at the same time is that um, the reduction of the CO2 emissions, meaning that 
maybe the TSOs or the regulators, they should differentiate who has at those periods access to the market. If there is an overcapacity in the market, maybe the generators who are carbon intensive should be limited out of the market and then maintain some normalcy in the market so that low carbon producers don't get punished. And that's a thing that has to be considered. So you think it's the role of the TSO to come in here and limit the sort of high carbon intensity power generation and, and let generally the largely carbon free uh, producers produce at will? Well, that is uh, obviously a consideration that uh, should be, uh, should be uh, given if in European policy is to, to reduce as much as possible carbon emissions and, and have low carbon uh, emitters at the market and you know as much as possible with market pricing and not with subsidies. I mean, I think generally there is a move to end subsidies across Europe. And I think even, you know, new build solar, a lot of wind can exist without subsidies. Yes. And obviously, if there would be no subsidies, I don't think we would see very much negative pricing. So maybe it's a, it's a sort of long-term game here that it's going to happen but you'd maybe you'd like to have it happen sooner rather than later certainly because otherwise there is a very significant period where there will be significant economic damage to uh, low carbon uh, producers how about smrs the small modular reactors can they exist without subsidies of course of course uh, all the power generation in Finland and nuclear power plants that are planned for levelized cost of 50 uh, euros per megawatt hour they, uh, for next 60 years, they, they are built without any subsidies. But they have a different system in Finland, don't they? They have the Mankala system, which is slightly different from maybe what we saw seen in the UK and, and, and France in a way of financing nuclear. Yeah, sure. It's not project financing. And this has to be avoid, avoided, I think, uh, at every cost. And uh, I think it's very clever and very meaningful, this Mankala system. And we uh, try to emulate this as, as well because it's fundamentally mutuality which owners or the consumers of power build themselves a power generation capacity. It's even more engaged a relationship for the power consumer than the power purchasing agreements. Mm-hmm. It's uh, power purchasing agreements squared, I would say. Okay, okay. it's a more advanced or, or, or version of PPAs than you would say. Uh, absolutely. More sophisticated, more yes. sophisticated model. Yeah, And actually 100 years old. Absolutely. Well, Kalev, thank you very much for joining the, uh, the Montel Weekly Podcast. A fascinating discussion on small modular reactors. I'm sure you know, we'll hear more of this in the future and we'll come back to this. But for now, thank you very much, Kalev. Thank you. That's about all from the Montel Weekly Podcast this week. Thank you, Kalev, again. Remember to keep up to date with all our stories on Montel News and follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Goodbye.